and he said, Let the hydrogens form a 105 degree angle with the oxygen atom. Let it be polar. Let it be wet. Let it be everywhere. And let it be fun. But he also said, that's enough. And he hasn't made a single drop of water since. Not one molecule. Think about it. It's all the same old water. Which means that a drop of water somewhere in this water park could be the same drop that was under his foot on the Sea of Galilee. The drop of water that you feel in the back of your throat right now could be the same drop that he rubbed on a blind man's eyes. But if you want to touch the water that touched him, if you want to go to that river where he practically dragged in his cousin, where his father came down like a dove, if you want to touch that water, you can't. You can't. The water's gone. The water's gone merrily about its business like it always does, down the river, to the ocean, to the clouds, to the rain, to God only knows where. Maybe a desert, maybe a harbor. And then it starts all over again, back to the ocean, back to the clouds, and back to the rain to be slapped away on our drive home. The water he touched could be anywhere, from a thousand places we've already thanked him for, to a million places we haven't even noticed, to maybe, just maybe, one drop in that divine ice bucket you get to dump on your wife's head. Because it's all the same old water. The same water that can make a juice box or a popsicle can heal a blind man. Or even help celebrate a new birthday party. same old water. But God never intended for water to stay in a cloud or stay in the ocean. And he sure didn't mean for it to stay in a giant tub behind a podium. It doesn't take much. Maybe two or three quarts and a big washcloth. To recycle. To refresh. To renew. To reuse his water just like he would himself.
All right, good morning, church. It's summertime, and we've got a summertime picnic right after assembly today, so stick around from that. Ah, summer. One of my favorite things about summer is actually what we just talked about here. It's water. I love summertime water. I love water all the time, actually. One of my favorite things to do is go over to Thermop and go to the hot springs, right? That's great, year-round. But come summertime, water is so special. We've had those thunderstorms rolling in, and they've just almost been raining, and I've been begging because I want that free water on my grass. But I love water in the summertime. Go out to the river, put the kayaks in. That's what we like to do, and just have fun. Go out to the lake. I'm not much of a fisherman, but last weekend, J.D. caught, I don't know, 15 brookies, 15 brookies out on, on Worthen. Just going out and experiencing God's creation and looking at the water and being cooled by it. Ah, I love that about summer. One of my favorite things about summer is water. And uh, here for the next while, we've been talking about things in summer, and I'm going to continue that. So today, I want to talk about water. And just like the video said, I really do think God loves water or God likes water. I really think uh, water is something that's really, really important to God. And so what I want to do today is I want to glance through the scriptures, if you will. I want to look at the story of water from maybe God's perspective, from the perspective of how God interacts and uses and loves and likes water. And so today I'm probably, it's going to be probably a little bit different. You know, most of the time I don't have a topical sermon about water, but here we are. So it might be a little different, but I want to look at all these different places throughout Scripture, how God really loves water. And you can't start anywhere unless you start at the beginning, right? Genesis chapter 1, very first chapter in the Old Testament, very first chapter in the Bible, very first time we read of God at all, right? Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2 read, very first verses of the Bible, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering, where? Hovering over the face of the waters. I think a lot of times we read that introduction, the beginning of the world, and just zoom through it, But think about that for a second. Before there was sunlight, before there was daytime and nighttime, God hadn't made those things yet, right? Before there was land or anything that we would call resembling the earth today, what was there? God and the water. God, His Spirit, was hovering over the face of the waters before creation ever even got started God was interacting with water. I don't think this is just a coincidence. I know you've never thought about it. It's weird. I told you today's sermon is going to be weird. I don't think it's just a coincidence, though. I think this is the marker of the beginning of how God will continue to interact with water for the rest of the earth's days. I think this is how God is starting the journey that he works hand-in-hand with water. So water starts at the beginning, but it's all throughout the Old Testament. 
God is working hand in hand, interacting with water all throughout the Old Testament. And here's the weird thing. From this point forward, people synonymously use water and God and make it spiritual, not just physical in the Old Testament. It's very interesting. From the beginning when the Spirit was over the water, we move into the Old Testament. We come to books like Isaiah. Isaiah 44, verse 3, it reads, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. Water's being talked about here, right? You could... You could type into your digital Bible and find all the water verses. But this is in Isaiah. This is the prophet. And what's being said by God here? Is he saying he'll be like a bucket of water physically? Kinda. But more importantly, this is spiritual for the people, isn't it? He's saying, I will be the refreshing water like a tub of water poured out on dry ground. What will the water be? It'll be my spirit upon you and your offspring blessing your descendants. Kind of analyzing this scripture kind of gives us a a good moment to think about how in the Old Testament God interacted with water and how the people thought of water and God. They thought water, blessing. God is like the blessing, the flowing of water. Kind of a weird thing to think about. I know. But that's how they thought. Isaiah chapter 12, I want to give you another example here. The last one was God being poured out as a spiritual blessing. But look at Isaiah 12, 2 through 3. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So in the last verse here in Isaiah 44, it talked about water and blessing. God working with it that way. Here in Isaiah chapter 12, we have water and God working together to equal what? Well, the well of salvation, right? It's almost as if water for the Old Testament God followers was a blessing and the sign of salvation to God. God used water. God liked water even in the Old Testament. For them, having salvation was like drawing a fresh cold bucket out of the well. Their soul could be quenched. So in the Old Testament, I think this idea of God being connected to water is there. And I get it, it's a little weird, right? It's like, Harold, you might be stretching. These might just be analogies. Either way, God is connected to water. He is using water to get his message across about how you can have salvation and blessing from the Lord. And I think the people understood that. If you live in a desert climate and you don't have a lot and you live nomadically, what do you want? Water. I think they understood how water was a blessing, how God was a blessing. So that's my sermon about water. Nah. See, if if water's in the Old Testament, and I'm kind of reaching to find how God is using it, what if we move into the New Testament? Does God ever use water in the New Testament? Is there any connection 
Let's start right at the source. Let's talk about this guy named Jesus. This guy named Jesus. Okay, maybe he was more than a guy, right? Jesus was the Son of God made man to come to earth and serve people. Come to earth to pay the ultimate sacrifice. And it all started at water for Jesus. We, we can look back in Luke to the beginning of Jesus' life and how it started with Mary and an angel. But when we come to Jesus actually doing ministry, it all starts right here in Matthew chapter 3. And this is referenced in Luke chapter 4 and other places as well. But when Jesus starts his ministry, read with me here in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Depending uh, which gospel you're reading, we get a little backstory before this of Jesus practically begging his cousin John to baptize him and John being like, whoa, you're the Messiah. I can't baptize you. But he convinces him, right? And so they go into the water and when Christ comes out of the water, everything begins. What comes down? the Holy Spirit of God descended down upon him like a dove. Now you can paint a mind picture of that, but I'm not even sure we can do it justice. God's Spirit came down upon him in that moment. And what else happened? God verified that this wasn't just a a kid. This wasn't just a prophet or a preacher or a friend of John's. Because I tell you what, If you get baptized and when you splash back up, God says, this is my son, I think everybody's going to believe that. This is my son whom I am well pleased. And this marks the beginning of Jesus doing his work here on earth, the beginning of his ministry, and it starts with water. The baptism of John, the baptism of Jesus starts with water. From here on out, we can read, especially in Luke, that Jesus goes into the wilderness led by the Spirit that just came down upon him. He's tempted in all ways like man. And he continues his ministry from there forward, healing, blessing, teaching. The start of Jesus, the start of his earthly ministry, starts with this amazing thing that God likes called water. But water isn't always just used as the physical thing in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Water can be used both spiritually and physically and together. And we'll talk about those few things here in a minute. But as Jesus continues in his ministry, he interacts with water a lot. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Jesus isn't afraid of water. He interacts with it a ton, right? In Mark chapter 4, Jesus teaches the apostles about true faith and his teaching method is the fact that he's asleep in a boat in a storm, right? Talk about water. Uh, The boat was filling with water. I think that's what the apostles thought, right? Tell me about water, Jesus. Uh, We're drowning. That's what they say, right? Uh, We're drowning. 
And what's he do? Well, he shows them that their true faith could calm the storm. Instantly like that, doesn't he? Mark chapter 4. Calms the storm, calms the water. What about Matthew 14? Matthew 14 is an interesting one because Jesus does something that's impossible in the physical forms of mankind and water. I've tried. He walks on top of water. Can't do it. I've tried. I've seen guys on motorcycles water skip, but that's a different thing entirely. So how did he walk on water? Well, he was God, right? But not only did he defy the physical attributes of water and man, but he also extended the opportunity to another. I know we think about the sinking of Peter often, but what about those few steps of Peter? Jesus interacted with water and showed Peter that if he trusted in him, he could do things that he did not think were possible. It was when he lost his trust that he began to be a normal human, sinking in water. So Jesus used water in Matthew 14. What about John chapter 9? John chapter 9, in Jesus' ministry, even after he's been healing and teaching people, he still uses water. The example of John chapter 9, I invite you guys to look these up later, by the way, is that he tells the blind man to do what? He tells him to go wash in the water and he will be healed. You know what happens? Spoiler alert. He goes and washes in the water, and he is healed. So Jesus himself can use water as a teaching moment. He can use it as a faith moment. He can use it as a healing moment. Man, Jesus kind of likes water too. And the crazy thing is that even after his death, This is a nerdy one that I really think is interesting. Even after his death, after he is crucified, and it's a quick crucifixion in all accounts, comparatively, they go and make sure he's dead by stabbing him in the side. And what comes out? Pretty blood. Blood comes out, right? That's what's inside a human. But not just blood. Blood and water. Blood and water. If you look online, you can probably find some scientists, some healthcare professionals explaining why there would be blood and then there would be water. In John chapter 19, verse 34, by the way, if you want the exact verse. But I think there's more significance in the fact that outpoured not just the human thing, but also the thing that God loves, water. Also the thing that God uses, water. Because it was in that moment when Jesus had made the sacrifice for the entire world to bear the sins and water was still there. I don't know. I'm just kind of a nerd. John chapter 19, verse 34. So if God loves water and Christ loves water and they both can use it, it's a spiritual thing. It's a physical thing. It's interacting with God. I think the greatest example of Jesus using water has to be John chapter 4. Larry read for us John chapter 4, just a a snidbit of it at the beginning. But if you would, open your Bibles to these verses. John chapter 4, verses 5 through 15. 
there is no greater example of water being more than just a physical thing on this earth, but rather a spiritual thing used by God than what Jesus says in John chapter 4, verses 5 through 15. It's the story of the woman at the well, one of the greatest outcasts we ever read about, and Jesus interacted with her. Read it with me. John 4, 5 through 15. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob was given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was about on his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour, about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to, you, to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? I'm a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. Or everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water ever again. The story of the woman at the well. Jesus is sitting there on the edge of Jacob's well, right? It's noon, it's hot, the apostles have went into town to get groceries. He's sitting there, and who comes along? A Samaritan woman. Why is she there at noon? She's there at noon because nobody else is going to be there, and she specifically avoids other people because she knows people avoid her. So she's there, and there's this Jew guy sitting on the well. And he doesn't just ignore her like everybody's supposed to, but instead he talks to her. And she says, why are you talking to me? You're not supposed to talk to me. I'm a Samaritan. And Jesus doesn't even say anything to that. But instead he talks to her about water. He's got a perfect teaching tool, doesn't he? A whole well he's sitting on. He asks for water. He talks to her about water. And what he ends up saying is that this water is great and all, but I can give you water that you'll never thirst again. Water that is eternally flowing. And so she asks him at the end of that, well, how can I get this water? How can I get this water? The the woman who is so outcast by society, who's had five or six husbands and is currently living with a guy, who won't even attempt to see Jews because she knows she will be outcast, she asks Jesus, 
how can I get this living water? And Jesus' answer is all throughout the New Testament as well, isn't it? How do you get the living water? Well, it involves water as well. How do you get the eternal life, salvation? How do you get the living water? Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 3. John 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. If you're familiar with John chapter 3, this is basically where Jesus is being asked by the man, how can you be born again? Uh, I've seen a baby born and I grew up a little bit and I don't know how it's going to work. That's what he's saying, right? Jesus answers with saying, ah, it's not born again like with humans involved. It's born again with what? With water and with spirit. How can you have the living water? How can you have eternal life? Truly, truly, I say to you, if you are born in the water and spirit, you will enter the kingdom of God. The gift of living water is given to us. The word we use is baptism, right? It means submersion up in the water. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Because baptism is not just a time, oh, I'll get to that. But baptism is not just a water experience, it's also a spirit experience. It's when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? So Jesus answers, and his apostles would continue teaching the same thing. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, it now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do you get the eternal living waters? Well, Peter would say baptism. Jesus would say um, covering in water and spirit. But Peter goes on a little bit more here, doesn't he? He says, this is not just a physical thing with water. This is a spiritual thing with water. I've taken a few baths in my life. Not ashamed of that. Baths are comfy. But when I take a bath, part of the process and part of the goal is to clean myself, right? Peter's saying, that's not the point of this. It's not a physical body cleaning, but instead, it's a conscience cleaning. Instead, it's a spiritual cleaning. It's a soul cleaning. It's making an appeal to God through what? Through Jesus Christ. That's what baptism's all about. It's getting the living water. God's just using water again because he likes water. Probably the most prudent and important verse about God giving you the eternal water and he's giving it to you through water is this one right here in Acts 22. 16, verse 16. Now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. If we take it serious that Jesus wants to give us the eternal life, the eternal water, the spring that never runs dry, uh, why wait? Why wait? But instead, take the water today. Take the water through the water. God loves water. 
So there you go. You can take that piece home. If you're convicted by it, awesome. But there's kind of two parts to this sermon. And this last little bit, so that first little bit was for those who want the eternal water and don't have it yet. The second piece is going to be for those who have the eternal water but don't live it yet. Some of us struggle with this a little bit. You remember the very end of the video? The video's high point at the, in the middle there is all the baptisms. I just love that. I think that's so cool. I love the guy that practically like slams the lady in there and it goes, you know. But the end is probably the most convicting part, isn't it? Water shouldn't just stay in the ocean. It shouldn't stay in the lake. And it definitely shouldn't just stay in some podium or some tub behind a podium, right? We see the imagery of taking the water and going to use it. For those of us that do have the eternal, ever-flowing, eternal life water, what are we supposed to do? Well, let's look at what Jesus did. That's what's being referenced in the video is John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. What did the living water do with water physically? Verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and what had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. To put this into context, here in John 13, we talk about the Last Supper often. It's when Jesus gives the example of communion. He tells them he won't take it with him again until the kingdom of God has returned, has come. But we also have this little side story at the same exact time, don't we? It's the feast of Passover. Before the feast, what has happened? Well, Jesus already knows tonight's the night. The time has come. He knows that tonight is going to end in tomorrow's crucifixion. He also already knows that Judas has already been filled with the devil, already been manipulated by Satan to betray Jesus. It's already happened. It's already happened. When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot. But it's still dinner time. It's dinner time and it's the Passover meal. And in their fashion, they sat foot to foot on the ground and their feet are gross. It's just a fact of the world they lived in. So what would typically happen before any meal is a servant would come and get a wash basin and a towel and would wash everybody's feet before they eat. Well, we don't see that happening here, do we? We don't see a servant doing it at all. We see Jesus making the choice to fill the bucket, to get the towel, and to go wash his apostles' feet. To go wash Judas's feet. Have you ever thought about that? Judas knew, Christ knew, 
God knew it was all about to go down in a matter of hours. And Christ pulled up and did the lowest, ickiest, stinkiest job to the worst of his followers. What an example we have, don't we? God loves water. He uses it spiritually. He wants to give us the eternal well of water, and we can take it by being in the water of spirit and physical baptism. But once we reach that point, water doesn't stop working for God. Instead, we get to be the catalyst of using water. Jesus used it to wash the one who was going to betray him. And he knew it. What can we do in the example of Jesus' water of washing the one who was going to betray him? How can we love people with water? Maybe we can love the ones that we know are going to betray us. Is that an easy one? Not for me, maybe for you guys. Maybe we can put ourselves in the ickiest situations, if you will, to serve people, even if we don't know if they're going to ever serve us back. Maybe we help someone and we love someone, even if we know they're just going to abuse it. Oh, that one's tough too. The human part of Harold steps in. Even if they're going to abuse it, they're, not, they're going to misuse what I give them. Even if there will be no appreciation, I will still kneel down and wash the haters' feet. I will still kneel down and wash the sinner's feet. I will still kneel down and wash the one that will betray me's feet. Why? Because God loves water and I'm his, so let me use it. Oftentimes we don't physically do this with a bucket of water and feet anymore, but can you think of a few examples in your life when you could serve people and not expect anything back? Can you think of a few examples in your life when you know that someone's going to betray you or not appreciate you and you still have an opportunity to serve them like Christ would? That's the call that we have as those who are saved. So water. I like water. Summertime, I love to get the kayaks out on the water. But really, what I should say is I love the living water a whole lot more. That's what God loves. God loves giving the living water. How does he do it? He gives it through immersion in water. He just likes water all the way around. But once we have entered into that relationship with him, He expects us to go and use the water and share the living water because God likes water. 